You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. Uh, This is, for those of you keeping track, uh, the weekend in which my new book, House Perilous, has been launched into the world. This is the second volume of the Sparks and Filters series, which is an alt history Victoriana gas lamp fantasy with magical engineering and a fairy governess, all that sort of thing. Uh, The first book was Gate Sinister, which came out a few months ago. House Perilous is now on people's doorsteps. Uh, I'm I'm really pleased with this book. It's been uh, living in the back of my head for a very long time. So I'm excited to have it out in the world. I'm also excited to be working on the next one, uh, which was drafted a very long time ago and has uh, undergone so many significant changes in my head and my heart since then. So I'm going to be digging into that later this year. But in the meantime, so the two first two volumes of Sparks and Filters are out there. Uh, a lot of focus on the ethics of love filters and... Um, the creation of wondrous magical uh, wondrous magical machines with tiny bits of metal that might come from such things as teaspoons. It's not quite as light and airy as my teacup magic series, as a few people have discovered, but it's also not, you know, creature court level of grim. There's a lot of range in the Tansy stories. Anyway, so that book is out in the world. Um, I also got a notification today that apparently Sheep Might Fly, this podcast, uh, is is seven years old, which both seems highly likely and deeply impossible. So thank you very much for sticking with me for at least apparently seven years. So our current serial is of Knives and Night Blooms, and we are up to chapter five. At the Shrine of Black Feathers They passed the baths on the way to the Temple of Death. Calix restrained herself from following the scented oils inside the silken curtains like a hound lusting after bacon fat. A bath. It seemed an impossible dream. The journey across the Isthmus and the steep mountain ranges that greeted Calix on arrival into the Divine Kingdom had left a haze of grime on her skin that could not merely be sponged away. She had been mildly distressed to discover there were no proper bathing facilities on board the barge. That was why she'd stopped to inquire about rooms at the Blooming Cup in the first place. Baths, it seemed, were plentiful and public in the Divine Kingdom, not assumed to be the province of personal bathing chambers only. Even the nobles, she was told by the gossipy women of the tea house, including, she realised in retrospect, at least one of the assassins. Nobles often used the public facilities alongside their maids and advisers. For a country so intent of depriving women of power, It was oddly fascinating that they did not extend that to controlling their bodies or banning them from public spaces. Back in the Imperium, there were whole swathes of the city where no respectable woman could be seen. And many households in which the lady of the house was only able to leave with her husband's permission. 
Even graduates of the highest status colleges lost control over their lives upon marriage. It was hard to imagine that the brigand in a red kerchief she had just seen swaggering out of a silken wine den had her husband's permission to do anything. Here in the hanging market, with so many people of different types rubbing shoulders on the platforms between shops and stalls, Calix saw many different women, noting how boldly they walked among men, the variety of clothes that they wore, how they spoke and conducted themselves. Was it only magical women who were held back in this society? In any case, she did not have the leisure to indulge in a bath, not until she addressed the matter of the four assassins that had been sent to kill her, who had, sadly, distracted her from availing herself of the facilities back at the Blooming Cup. Dio and Icarus fell in to step beside Calix, slightly further back, in the traditional manner of bodyguards, though she had no idea if either of them had ever worked in such a position. They looked reasonably subservient, at least, so they knew how to play the part. Icarus had found the biggest loophole in the service bond, it had no power against sarcasm. He had taken to playing tour guide in order to exercise his rebellious spirit, or possibly just to make her afternoon as miserable as possible. You see that delightful mother-of-pearl tent? That's a spa, run by a lady called Glynis. She hires three hairdressers, a masseuse and a manicurist, because she pays fair wages for their work and they came with good references, she doesn't feel the need to magically enforce their subservience. Your subtlety is noted, Calix sighed. Are you sure? The hanging market is so full of examples of hard-working citizens who have not been casually bewitched to serve the whims of royalty. Please stop. He was silent after that. She did not know if it was the bond that stopped his tongue or if he was merely biding his time. As long as he stopped talking long enough for her to get her impending headache under control, she did not much care. Homicidal rage was a surprisingly rare occurrence in the lives of the priests of the Black Raven. Icarus himself had never thought of himself as a particularly angry person. Killing was a calming activity, not a way to settle petty emotions. It was a sacred act, never personal. They were trained to maim, not kill, in self-defence or other violent altercations. Killing was only for the raven, when the price had been paid and the sacrifice named. Icarus had never wanted to snap the neck of another person so much as he did right this moment, walking half a step behind his new mistress. Calix, petal of the Imperium. It wasn't even wrong to want her ended. He had her mark. That was, he had been hired to make her his target, that was usually what that phrase meant, but he was well aware of the other mark, the delicate night bloom that decorated his skin, 
warring with the mark of the God that he served. He had every right to end her life. He burned with the wanting to sacrifice her to his God. Right now it was the one thing he could not do. Even thinking about how it might be done caused his hands to lock tightly at his sides, his breath to falter. The compulsion spell wanted him to serve her, not hurt her. Icaros had always hated magic in a casual, everyday sort of way. Right now, he wanted to destroy the compulsion spell, even more than he wanted to destroy Calyx. Worst of all, if someone else burst out of these merry crowds right now and tried to hurt her, Icaros would have to stop them. He had to protect this slave-making piece of dirt. If he did not stay calm, the curse upon him was going to blow his heart to pieces. He could already hear his pulse in his ears, too fast to be healthy. Icarus breathed. His chance would come soon enough. As long as Calix did not make a direct order that counteracted his intentions, as long as he did not act on the rage that burned through every finger-width of his flesh, he had a chance, one chance to be free of her. She would never see it coming. Most temples in the hanging market were small. Space was at a premium up in the airy higher levels. Like many of the shops and businesses around here, the Shrine of Black Feathers least significant of all the temples devoted to the Black Raven, looked like a square yurt with a reception window and a narrow doorway covered with soft layers of fabric. In this case, black. Black on black with detailing of black. Gentle silver embroidery here and there hinted at a pattern of bird wings, but only upon close examination, and it really only served to emphasise the overall blackness of the decor. The stall next door belonged to a florist, currently garishly bright with a display of tulips and sunflowers. The juxtaposition never failed to amuse Icaros, though his favourite was the Shrine of Sharp Beak at Lake Lamia, sandwiched between a children's toy emporium and a sweet shop. The ground beneath their feet on this particular level was a structure of knotted rope woven in coarse patterns. It shifted with the breezes, feeling only slightly more unstable than being on board a ship. Icaros did not understand the allure that so many people seemed to feel about not having solid ground under their feet. You'll want to ring the bell, he advised Calix. A sensation washed over him, an uninvited pleasant glow, a reward for being helpful to his mistress. The compulsion spell was the gift that kept giving. He hated it. Calix waved Dio forward, and the lad leaned into the window with a puppyish enthusiasm that made Icaros respect him slightly less. There isn't a bell protested Dio, looking crestfallen. Calix glanced impatiently at Icaros. He took that as permission 
to get closer to the shrine. He raised a hand to the soft door curtains, and a tinkling, jangling sound filled the air. The handmaidens of the Shrine of the Black Feathers were his least favourite colleagues. Like many of the simpering fops who lived and worked here at the Hanging Market, it was always about the look of the thing. So concerned with aesthetics and style, the practicality went out the window, and into the river, presumably. There were three handmaidens who operated this particular shrine. Icarus had made a point of never learning any of their names. A young lady with dyed black hair and matching eyeliner appeared at the window. She wore exactly twice as much black lace as would be appropriate in literally any other profession. My name is Yanny. How may I help you? she drawled. Oh, Yanny. Yes, Icarus did know this one. She was the niece of Mavardian, who ruled the Prime Temple at Phoenix Burning with an administrative fist of iron, and had once taken Icarus to her bed with the enthusiasm of a large mountain cat on the hunt for red meat. Always a pleasure, Yearny, he said, taking another step forward so that his hip brushed against the soft curtain of the shrine. Icarus, said Yearny, her dark-rimmed eyes taking in his presence with an amusement that made him wonder whether she ever shared gossip with her aunt. How can I help you this afternoon? Black Raven, protect me, I claim sanctuary. The temple is under attack. As he spoke, Icarus dived through the shimmering black curtains and into the blessed darkness of the shrine. Feathers closed over the window, shutting out all light and the fabric curtains behind him solidified into a mass of shadow. The shrine bumped and shook as the sanctuary protocol took over. What the fuck? snarled Yeany, grasping at his sleeve. You can't do this every time you're pissed off at a client, Icarus. Our Dark Lord doesn't like it, and the fines from the Council of the Hanging Market are astronomical. Icarus's stomach heaved. He had rebelled against his bond mistress. Not exactly against a direct order, but uh, the spell did not like it at all. He might be protected here in the belly of the god he served, but his whole body was crying out to return to Calix and beg her forgiveness. Who would save him from himself? I'm going to need a bucket, he said with great dignity, and then threw up dandelions and clover all over the floor of the shrine, to the sound of Yeany the handmaiden screaming in protest. Calix stared in shock as the shrine of the black feathers sealed itself up, becoming a tight black ball with no entrance or window remaining. Large black feathered wings sprouted from the strange bundle of yurt, and the entire shrine dropped away from the florist stall, leaving a gaping hole in the hanging market as it swerved away and out of sight. What was that? Calix demanded, whirling on an equally astonished Dio. Is that normal? Normal's not a word I'd use, he sputtered, but, um, 
shrines. They have a mind of their own, I've heard. My aunties say it's not wise to go up against uh, gods and their servants, generally speaking. Calix glared at the hole in the wall with all the fury she could muster, which was not as much as she would like. She was just so tired. I'm done, she sighed. Time for a bath. Thank you for listening to Sheep Might Fly. This podcast was recorded on Palawa land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional and continuing custodians of Lutruwita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates, follow me on Twitter at TansyRR, and if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week.